when I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there would have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. Do you guys hear about the scientists that are dropping explosives around Mount St. Helens? What's the uh, story behind that one? I don't know if they're doing to check uh, seismic activity or what they're doing it for. But it made me think of, uh, you know, possible Sasquatch in the area if they're going to be moving down south with all that blasting going on. I think it has to, something to do with they're checking the seismic activity around Mount St. Helens. So they have all these explosions going off, and they're telling people to stay clear of the area. Yeah, I, I would think that kind of noise would uh, chase most wildlife out of the area. That reminds me of, uh, like, the I-5 bridge here, how they set off explosives to, to keep all the birds away. Same type of theory, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think they're doing it to test something, you know, because Mount St. Helens is still active. And if you go up there, it's always smoking and looks like it's about ready to blow at any minute. But I think it has something to do with seismic activity. But, yeah, like blowing those yeah, blasts off. Yeah, they're probably off checking the, um, you know, what the chances are of uh, any kind of an eruption in the near future. Yeah. It does remind you of the blast going off, though, you know, at, at the bridge, you know, trying to get the, uh, the birds mm-hmm. to go away. That could be a little unsettling yeah. that close. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're driving over the bridge, have those blasts go off. Yeah, it it does. It scares the hell out of you, man. You go, you drive across, and all of a sudden it's like you hear these gunshots going off, and it's, you know, due to they don't want the birds ruining the bridge. But, yeah, it scares the heck out of you. Not really on the Bigfoot subject. But, anyways, the the bridge, we have uh, uh, birds and seagulls and stuff that get on the bridge, and, and due to the feces of the birds that ruins the, the paint on the our main bridge that takes us over from uh, Washington to Oregon. It's called the i Bridge. Every so many minutes, these blasts go off. You have these explosions on the bridge that scares the birds to keep the birds off the bridge from running the paint. So that's what that is. I wonder if that's going to mess up their regional, the way they travel in the area. You know, some are up there right now to try and it stay could. clear up. Yeah, it could very well disrupt that pattern. Yeah. I guess they, uh, you know, they've been flying drones over it's legal now to fly drones everywhere. I guess in uh, I saw Washington. A little, I saw a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah, in Washington State now, it's actually illegal to fly these drones over 
national parks. They claim it upsets the wildlife, but uh, I think it's for something else. So I guess they can kiss the uh, what's that uh, the Falcon Project. I guess they won't be doing that over here in Washington anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a bust, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> If, if the government can't look for Sasquatch, neither can the, the Falcon Project. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> the only other thing I had for you guys is uh, Kelly, a listener, Kelly sent us uh, a question. She said, if Sasquatch originates from possibly chimps or gorillas, then where are they developing their tremendous size from? Well, there's really two possibilities on that one. Number one, which I, I, I've kind of, my thinking is that they don't come from chimps or, or gorillas. That's uh uh, there were plenty of other, you know, large hominids that existed in the past that these guys are probably descended from. But if they did, uh, then over time, there's a term called gigantism among species where, in other words, from, from when a species first develops through the course of its, um, of its existence, you know, they don't always stay the same size. Horses, elephants, things like that are all in a stage of gigantism right now. In other words, they were a lot smaller originally than they are today, and they don't really know why species go through that. But uh, that would be the other possibility. Yeah, I don't think we ever really said that they originated from chimps or gorillas. I think I've I think I've said they've acted like, they kind of act like chimps and gorillas. Yeah, some of the behaviors are, are similar, but they're not, you know, they're not exact. And, uh, and I, I agree, I don't think they're from either chimps or gorillas. I wanted to, I told Justin Seeley I wanted to invite him back to the show to promote his new movie, Hunting the Legend. So I wanted to welcome Justin Steely to the show. Yeah, so thanks, to, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I wanted to welcome you back and uh, uh, so you could promote your, your movie, Hunting the Legend. It came out yesterday, yeah. correct? So for those who haven't heard the uh, other episode that I was on, um, the film's called Hunting the Legend. It's a uh, found footage Bigfoot film in the vein of Paranormal Activity, The Fourth Kind, and The Blair Witch Project. It's about uh, Bigfoot and these guys trying to go in the woods and uh, capture one on film and also seek revenge and, and kill one because the main character's dad vanished at the beginning of the film. And most of the film takes place five years later when he's a young adult and he's trying to... Um, Get closure, seek revenge, and, you know, prove to the world that he's not crazy and he knows what happens to his dad. So, basically, I just wanted to give you guys and your listeners uh, just one more chance to uh, figure out, you know, find out where you can get the film and where you can watch it and stuff, and then I'll let you guys uh, get your regular callers on because I, I heard tonight's going to be a really good show, so I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, but, absolutely. Tell, tell us where we can uh, get the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, United States and Canada already has it out at, uh, Best Buy, FYE, Walmart, uh, Coconut, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, pretty much everywhere but Target has it. If you want to go into the store and actually get it off the shelf, I think Walmart's probably your best bet. Um, a lot of the retailers may just direct you to their website or have to special order it in for you. It's also available in HD or standard on iTunes and Amazon Instant, and we're kind of holding off on, on Netflix Instant right now, and Redbox, they want to push the hard copy sales first, and then um, and then release it to those outlets later. And our UK and Germany fans will get a chance to watch it the 21st of this month, 
And Australia, I believe, won't be until January 5th, but that may that may be wrong. It may be sooner than that. So, yeah, I'd say your best bet is to go on iTunes or Amazon Instant or go to Walmart and pick it up. If anybody wants more information about the film or how to watch it, where to watch it, uh, just go to Facebook and search Hunting the Legend or go to Facebook.com slash Hunting the Legend Movie. And we also are on uh, IMDb. Um, and we also have an Instagram account as well. So. Very cool, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, I can't wait to uh, hear the rest of this episode. I heard it's going to be a good one. All right, buddy. I'll be in touch. <laughs> okay, cool. What did he say but, about the Netflix thing again? It's not going to be available on Netflix. They're trying to push it on video sales right now. Oh, uh, and hard copies first, and then they'll go over the net. Right. Is that what we were saying? Okay. Yeah. Then all the cheap bastards can watch it on Netflix after they've made their money. <laughs> Are you calling me a cheap bastard now? Oh. <laughs> I'm I like, didn't know you were cheap. <laughs> 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 I just never would really again. Uh, it's funny. Honey legends are <laughs> Honey the legend everyone. <laughs> All right. Well our next guest we have on the show is Robert. One of the craziest encounters I've ever heard. It reminded me of, of Woody and I's encounter. I'll let him tell the story, but I wanted to welcome Robert to the show. Uh Robert or it's actually just call me Bob. The Bob will be good. Oh, okay. okay. Really appreciate you sending us your encounter probably one of the creepiest encounters I ever heard. It was one of the craziest encounters I heard. It honestly reminded me of Woody and I's encounter a lot when I was reading it. We don't want to give uh, too much information out about you, but um, uh, can you give us just a little um, idea of what your profession is, just so people don't know that you're a little more credible than a normal witness? Well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, in law enforcement, prior military infantry guy that did that for about 10 years and I've been uh, in law enforcement for about 10 years now. Now leading up to your incidents what did you know or think about the subject of Bigfoot? I didn't know much uh, like many people I saw in search of and things like that as a kid just really never thought about the subject I grew up in the, the woods of East Texas and never thought about Bigfoot to be honest I moved to Colorado in uh, the early 90s, and I hike and camp, or actually I really do survival camping, where I throw a pack on, make a ranger hooch, you know, and I hike out where nobody else is. As far as Bigfoot's concerned, I never really thought about it. I certainly didn't believe that they were in Colorado. So let's go ahead and move to, now you've had is it more than one encounter? I have uh, in the same location, but the the first incident is what got me to go back, and then sub- subsequently had more encounters after that. Okay, well, let's start with that one. Um, kind of lead us into you know the events that day and and how how they unfolded. I took uh, my 15 and 10 year old, and we were going to do a survival hike, and essentially. You know, teach them how to build shelters. It was the first week of February in 2013. So it's the middle of the winter and I was going to teach them how to build fire and things like that. So we had picked a canyon where, uh, the canyon floor is about 9,500 feet 
and then the two mountains jut over well over uh, 11,000 feet on either side. Pretty steep mountains. We had chosen one mountain. We hiked up around the mountain and found an area somewhat flat, built a shelter, built a fire ring, you know, just kind of doing that with the boys. I would say it was around 11.30 at night. The boys had finally crawled in the shelter, uh, gotten their sleeping bags. They were out cold. I was just kind of tending the fire to make sure, you know, we don't start a forest fire. It was really dry that year, so there was snow in the shaded areas, but if uh, the sunlight touched the ground, then, you know, there was no snow whatsoever. So about 11.30, I'm just kind of laying out by the fire, and I dozing off, and I hear what I thought was a scream. and. So that kind of got my attention. I sat up, and I was sitting there trying to debate, did I really hear that? Or, you know, in that half-conscious state, you know, did I dream that? And then I hear another scream. So with that second scream, now I'm awake, and uh, they're straight across from us. We're about a quarter of the way up our, our mountain, and like I said, it's a steep, narrow canyon. And straight across from us is where the screams sound like on the other mountain, where they're coming from. And they're not uh, not exceptionally loud or anything like that, but, you know, it sounded very unusual. So I started waking the boys up and, you know, hey, something's screaming at us because it sounded like it was directed at us for some reason. I can't put my finger on it, but it really sounded like it was at us. Not, you know, howling or calls or, you know, anything like that. So the boys start rustling around. I hear the screams a couple of boys are getting out, and it sounded like it moved to the left. Um, my oldest had heard, like, the last scream that was still on the other mountain. So he's, you know, kind of putting a little urgency to him, you know, looking for his headlamp and, you know, sitting up trying to get out of the mummy bag. And I would say it was about 45 seconds from the last scream on the other mountain to the next scream where it came down off that mountain, crossed the narrow canyon, came up to, excuse me, about the same height as we are on our mountain, and it lets out this undescribable scream. Uh, I think my son put it best later on, telling people the story. He said that it sounded like a demon-possessed woman being murdered. And it lets out this scream. And it's only about 70 feet away, Uh, as best I could tell. uh, It's real close. So that sends him straight out of the sleeping bag. He's throwing his pants on in midair and swearing like a sailor. Uh, My my youngest is doing the same. it got our attention big time. So I'm confused more. I'm not thinking Bigfoot or anything like that. I, I'm, I've heard a lot of animals out in the woods and stuff, and I'm confused at this point and pretty darn nervous because whatever's screaming at us to us came to the fire, which is unusual for animals, at least in my experience. And, the other thing that really got me going was that it was a scream. It wasn't a call or a howl 
or a yip or, or anything like that. It screamed just like a person, but clearly an animal doing it. So I, I was very confused at this point. Would well, you describe the scream as like a, a rage type scream or almost. You know, it struck me, and I, and I think it struck my boys as well as a like a panic scream, like "Oh my god!" kind of scream. Kind of an alert. Uh, like an alert, yeah. Uh, a little bit later on, my son, my oldest, uh, started saying he thinks that we're on the mountain and they must nest above us and we we scared it when it saw our fire because it was like that kind of a alert you know scream to it and at some point during the night we actually started calling it uh her because it sounded female it came to yeah, pretty fast too right it took about 45 seconds for it to come down off the other mountain Cross the canyon. There's a jeep trail in the in the canyon itself, with a little creek, and it crossed that. Climbed up our mountain, uh, and we were about a quarter of the way up. We had actually had to come down a little to find some ground that we could camp on. It came up uh, to about a quarter of the way of our mountain, and like I said, in about 45 seconds. I mean, that's covering like. God, it, it sounded like it from the last call that it covered probably two, maybe three football fields worth of ground in the dark, and and got up next to us when it did it. When it, it had screamed, a strong purpose in, in getting to you then. It did. It, it and each each scream it gotten progressively louder. And the weird thing is, is I wasn't getting the sense that it was getting closer because it sounded like it was moving to the left. It just sounded like it was getting louder and louder. But then when it got to us, and it just let out the scream that was eh, eh, undescribable. I mean, it was really bone-chilling. And then it went behind us, and it did the same scream as equally loud. And like I said, I, I, I was really confused and nervous. And then uh, that second scream behind us is when I got downright that to, just to be honest fearful i mean i was extremely fearful because it came to us it came to the fire and it's screaming like a person and but it sounds like an animal i mean all those things just weren't adding up you know for my brain i guess and my son said he was fine until he looked at me and he could tell that i was scared and that's when he got scared and uh so after that scream behind us, then it started circling us, and it circled our camp. And, and it was – it seemed to me like it was making intentional noise, like large sticks on the ground were being snapped. And you, you, you've been out in the woods. You know the difference between, like, an elk stepping on a, a good-sized branch right. and, you know, a rabbit stepping on a twig kind of thing. And these were good-sized branches that were being snapped. And, and it's, they sounded like they were on the ground. And and it, you know, just started circling us, making these, you know, snapping of the, of the sticks and things like that. And I, I would say it just stayed outside of the firelight. I mean, we're talking – I quickly built our fire up to a, a bonfire uh, out of fear. 
I would say maybe 70, a little bit further at times, depending on, you know, where it was, if I had a lane. But we could see roughly about 70 feet, and it just stayed right on that edge, it sounded like to us. And as it's, as it's circling and it's snapping these large branches as it's, as it's moving around, uh, it would do these hoofs. And I, I've since, you know, researched, and I, I, I guess that's very common since this time, but at the time, I was, that really confused me because I know bears can, can do a very similar hoof, but they can't scream like that. And I know, you know, mountain lions and even foxes and things like that at times can make some really weird screams or calls, but they don't do the hoofs and they, you know, they, they certainly don't have the weight that this sounds like it has as it's moving around us. So, I mean, I, it was just, I, I wasn't in the Bigfoot camp even with this going on yet. And my kids automatically, they watched that show Finding Bigfoot and stuff like that. So they were automatically, it's Bigfoot, you know, right off the bat. And I guess I'm, you know, I kept trying to figure, you know, how to get that square peg in the round hole. And, and all the details. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm, well, it, maybe that was a bob, uh, a mountain lion that screamed at us, but then it's got weight. So, you know, and I just kept going back and forth, and it was hoofing. And then it did this other thing, and up until recently, when I uh, just saw that Les Stroud guy do the Bigfoot, the Survivor Man Bigfoot, I don't know if you guys have seen that. Right, right. Okay. Um, I kept hearing these thuds, and and I tried to explain to people afterwards that if you'd imagine having, like, earplugs in, standing a few feet from me, and I drop a boulder from over my head onto the ground where you feel it more than you hear it, you know, I kept trying to explain that, these thuds to people, but uh, I guess less from finding Bigfoot is where I got the the saying, you feel it more than you hear it. So we were feeling these thuds in the ground. And and so it was snapping these branches and it's uh hoofing at us and and doing these thudding noises and this lasts for about three hours that this thing just keeps circling and circling us. At one point, I, we ran out of firewood. I had to make a couple runs for firewood. And, uh, like my oldest, he likes to kid me that I was so scared that I just started dragging back dead trees and, you know, the biggest of anything that I could find, uh, basically essentially cleaned out within the firelight of about 20, you know, maybe 25 feet around our little shelter that we got and had. And, uh, you know, just kept that fire raging. And this lasted for about three hours until I would say around 3, 3.30 or something like that. It took me a little while to realize, but it, it leaves. Because of the, the noises weren't just nonstop. Sometimes you wouldn't have anything for five, ten minutes, and then all of a sudden you'd have two, three things happen. And then you'd go another five minutes or something like that. There was something else that was bugging me. And I couldn't put my finger on it until later on and thinking about it and thinking about it. 
the way it was moving at the time, it was bothering me, but I couldn't figure it out. It was so random that it was intentional is the way I look at it now, because I can never guess where it was going to be or make the next sound. And you would think, okay, I kind of hear it moving over here. I'm tracking it. It's moving from my right to my left. It's going to be in front. And all of a sudden, as soon as you think, okay, it's about there, then then you'd hear something behind you. Someplace else, yeah. There may have been more than one there. Well, at this time, I really believe that, I mean, it's possible, but I, I never got the sense where I heard two things from two different directions to identify, okay, there's two now or, you know, multiple. Um, I never got that sense at this point. And then it left. We didn't have anything, or at least we didn't have anything for about an hour. And I really got the sense that it was gone. And believe it or not, towards the end, the boys actually got bored and went to bed because it was just the same noises over and over. You know, towards the end, they were exhausted from, you know, working and building the shelter and everything from the day uh hike. So they were asleep again when, I'd say it's around 4 o'clock, I think, in the morning. I'd have to check because uh, I started writing stuff down afterwards. But uh, I think around 4 o'clock in the morning, I hear mumbling from down below, like in a canyon. And the mumbling sounds like two men walking and having a conversation with each other. But you can hear them. You can't make out the words. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So I so I hear the mumbling from below us. So I wake up the boys, and I told them, "Hey, you know, I think by this point I'm I'm kind of leaning. This has got to be Bigfoot because I can't figure it out. But I'm I'm still I'm still really kind of holding out <laughs> with something else. <laughs> so I, I woke the boys up and I said, "Hey, Bigfoot's back. You know, she's back is what we were calling it." That's when all the same sounds started up again, except it was clear at this point there was at least two of them. And they started doing their circling around us, and they always stayed on opposite sides of each other. And it was almost like they were communicating with the sounds, like one would make a sound so the other would make a sound. And at one point, they actually started whistling back and forth. Oh, and interesting. That, that's a common sound the Indians used to say, they, they whistled. See, I, I never heard that. We were hearing whistles, and not a lot. It, it was maybe in the next hour we would hear like five whistles total. And one would whistle and the other would whistle back. Not every time, but that's kind of how it was going. They would literally stay on opposite sides of each other as they, they circled our camp. At this point, I was pretty done. I was exhausted. When they had left or when I believed that that first one had left, you know, that's when all the adrenaline drained out and, you know, that fear and exhaustion just, I was ready to collapse then. And the only thing that kept me awake, actually, is the fear that I didn't know what I was dealing with and I had my two boys there. I had a shotgun. I had that in my lap the whole time. And with... uh with me thinking that it was gone, you know, the the exhaustion set in. So when they came back, I think I was more just done with the whole experience. 
I just wanted to go home, to be honest. But sure. when they started up with their noises again, I don't know how long into it, but I was just really, it was almost like, well, come and have a go. Come in and let's do this or leave me alone. Yeah, I just want to be left alone. Over with. Exactly. That's that's how I was feeling. So I actually started yelling at them. And, you know, they would make a big noise or a big thud. And, you know, and each time, you know, the fear is still there, but it's a different kind of fear at this point. And when they would make uh, another sound, you know, it's like, oh, you know, get on with it, you know, get the hell out of here, you know, and I started yelling. And at one point, I got really frustrated and I yelled really loud. And that's when I was, we had a big pine tree right behind our shelter. And I hear something, what sounds like something kicks off the, the pine tree and lands over to our left. As I'm trying to process that, Another, and it's a, it was a stick, another stick comes flying in and hits the tree. And, I mean, this one hits smack in the middle of the tree, and then you hear it fall through the lens and hit the ground. And that's what sealed the deal for me because there's no other animal that's going to throw stuff. When when that realization, you know, the trying to fit that square peg in the round hole, <laughs> I had nothing at that point. And uh, all that fear and adrenaline just kicked back in. And, you know, at this point, I was really terrified because I realized I know nothing about these things. I didn't I didn't not believe in them, but I didn't necessarily believe in them either. But I certainly didn't believe with all my remote hiking experience in Colorado and, and stuff that I've done, I didn't believe that. Bigfoot lived in Colorado. I thought people were just trying to get, you know, attention or something along those lines. And now here I am and I'm confronting this reality. You know, all that, all that emotion. I mean, there were so many different emotions going on at one time. It's something that but, people are prepared for. Uh, I certainly wasn't. I mean, I, I always, when I go out, I always bring a shotgun with me. Uh, more just because I'm used to like being in the military. Uh, being in law enforcement, I'm used to having a weapon, and it just kind of goes hand in hand. You got your rucksack, you got your weapon, and you move. You know, I figured I could handle anything, that, you know, anything that comes up. <laughs> you know, I got a shotgun on me. I got slugs and buckshot, you know, in it. And I realized I am in over my head with this. I, I didn't know what to do or what to think except keep the fire going and stay up. I actually wound up staying up till nine o'clock in the morning because I wanted to make sure the sun was good and high before I actually tried to go to sleep. The biggest thing was is just the fear of not knowing what it what it does, what it what it's capable of, and uh, what having my voice there. Yeah, I think after after about an hour or so, I really got the sense that they weren't actually trying to hurt us, more scare us is the sense that I got, you know, that, that fear of it's going to dash from the brush at any moment was always there. But I didn't see, I didn't get like an overwhelming sense like, oh, here we go. This is, this is about to get deadly. You know, it was more, they just would not stop. They just continued to mess with us the entire time. 
I, I can hey, Bob, really you? relate to that incident because I, I was in one almost identical to that back in 1976. I, I've told it on the show before, but I'll, I'll tell it quickly. Um, after after I'd met John Green and Renee DeHinden, you know, who were the two original people who uh, started investigating this subject, came and interviewed me, and I spent time at their camp. Uh, they wanted us to go out and keep our eyes and ears open for anything going on, so we talked about it, and we, we found out that near... Uh, Fort Lewis in Washington, there was a ranch uh, that had had some weird goings on. So we four of us decided to go out there, and we took our packs and we hiked cross country towards the Squally River where these sounds were coming from, and uh, picked a spot in a, a cedar uh, clearing uh, to pitch our tent. And uh, about ten o'clock, ten thirty or so, I think it was, one of the guys wanted to go to sleep, and I said, "Well, you know, I think we should probably work in in teams of two. You know, somebody stay awake all the time." In case something goes on, so as it has happened, one of the guys, only one of the guys wanted to go to sleep. So I said, "Well, go ahead and grab some sleep. We'll we'll figure this out." And about 20 minutes later, we heard him rustling in the tent. This was an old canvas cabin tent with no floor in it. We heard him rustling around, and we we're trying to figure out what he was doing in there. So after some crude jokes, uh, you know, we he come flying out of the tent, eyes wide, just in, in fear, and he says, "It's not very damn funny, you guys trying to pull me out of the tent." And it was a great idea, but none of us thought of it. So we were sitting there looking at each other like, what's he talking about? And I said, nobody messed with you. What are you, what are you doing? And he says, well, I said, explain to us. He said, well, I thought you guys were trying to reach under the tent, you know, to try not to bother me from sleeping. So going through one of the packs and then all of a sudden this hand grabs my midsection and starts dragging me out of the tent. And I oh, said, geez. are you sure you weren't sleeping? And dreaming this, he says, no, I never went to sleep. I was listening to your conversation. So I said, okay, look, if this really happened, there has to be some proof of it. So I told one of the guys, toss me a flashlight. We walk around behind the tent. Sure enough, here were uh, a couple of these big 18-inch human-like tracks in the dirt and a, and a big spot where a knee where something had knelt down behind the tent and reached under it. And uh, I had him. He was a big guy. And I said, well, describe where the hand started and stopped on your body from the heel to the fingertips. And it was about a foot and a half long. I said, well, if you haven't checked lately, none of us have a hand that big, so it wasn't us. And then the screaming started. And first we heard one at some distance, maybe a quarter of a mile, and then one closer. And they were calling back and forth. And unlike your situation, we had a lot of tree frogs around us because it was a marshy area. And we would hear them stop on one side and then another, and we could tell we were being circled. And then pretty soon... They would stop on, and and just like your situation where it wasn't constant, you know, we'd have, you know, 20 minutes or so of nothing, and then this would start up again, and and so on, and we did the same thing. We built the fire up and kept it big all night, and uh, we figured there were four of them because there were there were two of them around circling the camp just at the fire edge, uh, the light, and uh, the two that were screaming. So um, I think about an hour before daylight, we ran out of firewood. We were too scared to go any further to get any. And uh, we fell asleep against the big log and figured, well, you know, if they're going to come and get us, they do. But uh, I guess we bored them and they went away. And I've, I've heard people say, well, how could you fall, possibly fall asleep? And I, I don't think people, were, yeah, I don't think people realize when your adrenaline finally starts waning on you, I mean, you are flat out smoked. You were just, you know, completely done. And, 
you know, that's where I was, except I, I didn't know. And my biggest fear was if one of these things, if I fall asleep and one of these things reaches under our shelter, because it was just a, you know, a pine, pine tree, you know, bush, um, shelter lean to basically, you know, my biggest fear was if I fall asleep, one of these things reaches under and rips one of my kids out. Exactly. exactly. By the time I got out of my mummy bag, this thing could be gone. And then what do I do? So I I basically sat up all night with the shotgun in my lap and tended that fire. And, you know, the thought that our experience would probably be over. I wanted to ask you, the mumbling that you heard, now have you heard Uh the zero sounds? I probably have because I searched Bigfoot, Sasquatch sounds like crazy trying to find the scream. Right. So I've so, heard a lot of it. Well, no, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's two CDs. So the first CD, you hear kind of this monkey chatter. And on the second CD, it's completely, completely opposite of what they have on the first CD. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, on the, the chatter that you heard, was it monkey-like? Or did it just sound like two people? I mean, was it like a different language? What did it quite, kind of sound like when you heard that chatter? Well, they, the mumbling itself now is like, I guess they call it the samurai chatter or the samurai talk or something. Right. I've heard that since, and that was about five weeks ago. That was the only time that I've actually heard that. And we always go back to the same place. At that night, it just sounded like two grown men having a conversation off in the distance where you couldn't distinguish any of the words. Whereas, like, rah, 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 you know, kind of that. Kind of a muffled speech sound. Yeah, it, it sounded like just mumbling. Like, if you just took two really deep men and they were having a conversation off in the distance, that's exactly what it sounded like. Uh, there was nothing real distinguished about it other than uh, we're in the middle of nowhere, the middle of winter. It's the middle of the week, halfway up a mountain. There's nobody walking out there without a flashlight. Right. Um, no, you wouldn't think so. This canyon is so narrow and with these two steep mountains, and there's literally one way in and one way out. You wouldn't, you know if, if somebody else is in the canyon when you were there. I mean, it, it, nothing distinct about that chatter or the, the mumbling is r- really all it sounded like to me. It was just mumbling at that point. Okay. Um, I appreciate clarifying it. I'm, I'm curious when people talk about that. I, mean, I was, It just fascinates me, that mumbling that people talk about. Yeah, it, it, it literally just sounds like mumbling. Like somebody's, you know, having a conversation. You just can't make out the words, um, you know, just... You know, and that's all it sounds like. Uh, hey, Bob, what do you think about, because you had made the comment, you thought you know, the Sasquatch or Bigfoot was about 70 feet away, and you could hear the the branches breaking, and from the way you explained it, it sounded like a, a creature that was heavy or large. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, you know, and your experience sounds a lot kind of like Wes's and I's. If Bigfoot actually wanted to get us, and it, he could have. But I was kind of thinking from the way that you explained your situation, do you think that possibly, and you, you said it was a female, do you think that maybe it was protecting a kill or it was about dinner time for him um, and they were trying to make you go away possibly? We, for whatever reason, and, and I don't know if it was a female or not, I, that's just the sense from the, the tone of the scream. 
it sounded like a female would, I guess. We got the sense, and, and you know, me and my boys talked about it extensively. I mean, that's all we talk about now is, is our, you know, the experiences that we've had there and, and the things that have happened. And it's, it's especially that night, you know, right after. And we got the sense that we were on their house or we were, you know, like camped on their front porch and she has babies up there on that mountain and she was letting us know we got to go. And, See, and that was right. the thinking because of the distance it was initially and it made a beeline straight for you guys. It was sort of a that almost a demonstration of warning, you know, like get the hell out of here, you're intruding. That's that's, that's the complete too. impression that we got, and uh, but there was no way I was going to try to get my boys down off that mountain in the dark. I mean, that, our little shelter was going to be the Alamo, <laughs> but there was no way we were going anywhere, you know. <laughs> and so I I just built that fire up as big as I could get it, and just kept it going like that uh, for as long as I could. And of course, uh, the next morning, I, I, I knocked off for a couple hours, told the boys, you not to leave this shelter for any reason. If you gotta use the restroom, you just, right here, right next to it, you know, you don't go anywhere. We looked for tracks. We hiked almost all day the next day looking for tracks because this was a two day trip. So we were supposed to stay the next night. And my boys, I could tell, I was ready to go. I was done. Uh, but my boys were really excited. They wanted to do it again. And so we hiked around. We, we couldn't find any tracks. And that's, that's one thing that kind of bothered me about that is there was enough snow in shaded areas that it should have left tracks unless it was intentionally trying not to. And that bothered me a lot the next day. There, you know, for a normal animal, if it circled like it did for as long as it did, there w there should have been a track somewhere in the snow, and there wasn't. And so it, that really bothered me that they are smart enough to know about their tracks, and that's the impression I got anyway. I mean, I, I and there are predatory animals that are aware of of uh, tracks and sign like that. Yeah, well, they they, they definitely are aware of their tracks and. Uh, the next morning, or the next day, the next afternoon, uh, we're, we were all pretty smoked, and it, it became clear that we didn't have the energy to pack up, you know, enough firewood to go through that again. So I came up with a brilliant idea because my boys didn't want to go, and quite honestly, I, to be honest, I, I felt like a coward, and. You know, from the night before, I was so fearful, and I hadn't felt that kind of fear and adrenaline. That I, I did a tour in Iraq, and I hadn't felt that. And I did it in front of my boys, which really bothered me that, you know, I, it, the next day, all day, I pretty much felt like a coward. So I, they wanted to stay. I was going to stay. I come up with the brilliant idea, and again, I don't know what I'm dealing with. And it wasn't until I started listening to your show a few weeks ago that it's I actually thought they were those huggy bear kind of, you know, that's the impression that you get in researching them. So I said, well, instead of us having a fire, because we didn't really have the energy to, to collect the wood, I said, let's sleep in the back of my truck. I have a, you know, a topper with a rug, uh, bed rug, 
and you know we could fit in there pretty comfortably. So I said, well, we'll just sleep in the back of the truck, and maybe they'll come close because you know we don't have the fire going. We'll be able to see them, and uh, you know we'll be more protected in <laughs> in the back of my truck. That was my thinking at the time. You know, I was thinking more like a black bear kind of mentality. Sure. You know, as opposed to something that could probably pick the truck up and throw it. So, you know, the boys thought that was a great idea. And it finally got dark. We had actually done like a little night hike and walked up the Jeep trail for about 100 yards away from where my truck was parked. Realized, you know, I really don't want my tough guy card that much. And so... <laughs> We turned the headlights on, had every flashlight we had on, and we got back to the truck. And I climbed in the back, and I was situating gear, trying to get the the sleeping bags rolled out and get everything organized. And I just happened to look back at my oldest, who was sitting on the tailgate. And he was shining the light in the, into the woods. And I see his face just make this expression like he just saw a ghost. All that fear from last night struck me instantly, and I, I was, what, what is it, what, you know, and I, I'm just, as I'm trying to scramble out the back, and he turns to me, and he says, I just saw eyes shine, and he turns back, and he goes, it's gone. So I jump out, and I'm like, where did you see eyes shine, and he points in a direction, and he said, well, it was orange, and it was low to the ground. There was two sets. I thought his imagination was probably getting the better of him after the night we had. It was probably just some little critter. You know, I, I assumed not many animals, especially in Colorado, have like an orange eye shine. So I just assumed, and it being low, I mean, I'm thinking in my head, well, Bigfoot's eight foot tall, so he's not on the ground. You know, it's, I'm thinking all this stuff, so I'm thinking he's just a little excited, and this is pretty scary, and I'm scared now. So, you know, that got us all going, and I, you know, turned to the boys. I said, do you guys really want to stay? Are you guys ready to go? And they were like, yeah, we're ready. And I was like, oh, thank God. They finally came over to my side. So I told them to get in the cab, and I would throw the rest of the gear in the back. And so they jumped in the cab, and as I'm standing there, and where he saw the ice shine, as I'm facing the back of my truck, it's over my right shoulder. And I hear the loudest, deepest, I don't even, meanest, I guess is the best way I could put it, hoof that comes from right where he pointed at, right over my right shoulder, which just, terrified the heck out of me. I call my oldest out. I tell him, you shine the flashlight right there while I, you know, I just did this world record, throw everything in the back of the truck, you know, and, you know, with one hand, because I never left the shotgun alone. And uh, we got out of there. But it wasn't until I got home and he started telling my wife the story that uh, he said, yeah, and I saw the eye shine. It was only like 20 feet from us. I didn't realize it at the time, thank God, because I don't know what I would have done. Jesus. I probably would have done something really Pretty stupid close. and crazy. But, yeah, yeah. and then sub subsequently, we've gone back many times, and he showed me exactly where he saw the eye shine. I, I think if I saw that, I would have had a heart attack. But he said it was <laughs> low to the ground. So, like, I got the impression later on researching this that they were creeping up on us. 
Right, and exactly. I don't know if, because it was so close, that it sounded so menacing and so loud, but by far that was the scariest noise I think I've ever heard in the wilderness. So after that, we jumped in the truck and we just booked it. I mean, I did as fast as I could possibly go without tearing the tires off the truck as we yeah, rocketed it down the street. That was a wise decision. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think about it. I, at the time, well, actually, that was a year and a half ago. And for the longest time until I listened to your show uh, for the first time, like a couple weeks, maybe three weeks ago, um, I always regretted that, thinking, oh, man, they were so close. They would have just kind of come up and messed with us a little, and we would have got to see them. But after hearing your show, I realized uh, this could have been very different. It could have and, been very badly, yes. Yeah, and so it probably was a blessing that we left when we did, as opposed to trying to stick it out another night. Have you gone up since then, Bob? Have you gone up to check out the area? I mean, have you had anything happen since you've gone back up? Yeah, actually, um, they have come and, and done some things. Uh, I, I hate to use the word regular basis because that sounds like, oh, yeah, we schedule it, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it's often that if I go into the canyon that they will come around and they will interact in one way or another. Sometimes, it, uh, like one time, it, they threw rocks at my recorder. I didn't know they were even there until I heard my audio later on. After that event, of course, I ran and told my buddies I was excited. And, you know, everybody was like, okay. You know, I didn't get the response that I thought I was going to get sure. from my uh, my friends. So we planned a trip up there. And we actually had an incident where uh we walked down the Jeep trail, turned around, and as we were coming back up, they put a log, about a four-foot log, and it was about maybe a foot and a half round in the middle of the Jeep trail right behind us. And it had come out of a fire pit that was 40 yards away because it was right at the edge of a little clearing. I mean, it literally walked down, and 30 seconds later, we turn around and start coming back up. It's all total, we were gone from that area maybe three, four minutes, and there's this log. And then we found tracks, and we found uh, and the, the snow on the ground. This is still like the end of February of 13, and we found tracks. Of course, us being these newly Bigfoot researchers, uh, one of my buddies stepped right in them to sh demonstrate how wide the stride was. <laughs> so we, we pretty much destroyed any evidence right there. But, so they, they, they did that. And then that night, they actually, I've got video that I had set up a camcorder where you hear it walk up behind the camcorder and then it touches it and then you hear it breathe and then you hear it walk away. But, and, I mean, that's a, a big story, and they've done several things. I've found later on more tracks, about a 40-foot trackway. The other thing, the night that I heard that samurai chatter, I guess they call it, that was five weeks ago, and I was with one of those guys that went with me. We all just started going um, 
bigfooting, I guess you call it. We were horse playing, messing around. They had built a large tree structure, and we camped right at the tree structure. And we wound up building this monstrosity of a tree structure next to theirs. Um, not intentional. It started out by accident. I leaned on a tree, and it fell across another one. And I was like, oh, look, a tree structure. And then, you know, it just led from there. We were just kind of goofing off. And that's the night that they came down off the mountain, and they did that, you know, that samurai. But they yelled it at us, and then they were gone. What's it like this? Uh, with snow and things like that. 
So I could see occasionally the wind, snow would kind of bend them a little, but these things are bent into U's and shoved into the ground, and then they will cross them. And and then, of course, they'll leave stuff on it over that. But, I mean, you're talking 40-foot trees. I think if I took four of my biggest buddies and tied a rope to the top of it, we might be able to duplicate it, you know, pulling these trees down. So... And they're all in this one area. One thing I find interesting too, you guys, is, you know, Bob has been trained and, you know, he's in the military and in law enforcement and stuff like that. Uh, he's been trained to assess certain situations and he's been trained in how to use a shotgun and certain weapons. And you made the comment earlier, Bob, about feeling like a coward. Well, you're not alone. We all kind of felt like a coward, you know, half of us too. We're, we're all pretty big guys. One thing I wanted to ask you is, how has this changed your life? Do you look at Do you look at things a little differently now? I mean, having this happen to you, it's actually changed my life for the most part uh, in a negative way, uh, because I live to throw on a pack and go into remote areas and do like survival. You know, just live with a poncho and and you know go out into the woods by myself. That was my get away from humanity, my Zen time, you know, and I loved it. Uh, I don't even like going on a day hike now by myself. Yeah, it's uh, watching I, over your shoulder. Exactly. It, it is not fun to walk through the wilderness anymore because I, I, I'm, I'm aware these things do exist. That's a scary proposition for me. You know, for years in Colorado, the worst I had to worry about was a mountain lion or a bear, and the probability of those things um, were slim to none if you were doing the right things and, you know, just being wilderness smart, the probability of anything bad happening with an animal is really slim. But with these things, I'm, uh, now that I'm aware that they do exist and that not only do they exist, but they live here in Colorado. That's got me, that's that's really changed me. I mean, I, I've become a squatcher. Uh, my wife hates it because I've spent all kinds of money, um, the night vision and, you know, doing silly stuff to try to see one of these things. And I've, I've seen a flash of fur one time, but I haven't actually really seen one. And Be careful what so, you wish for. <laughs> I, I, I've heard that on your show. When I had emailed you guys, I'd only listened to maybe like four episodes uh, on YouTube. And uh, so I sent you guys an email thinking, wow, maybe you guys could really help me because I got this ongoing situation and I don't know what to do with it. But I keep going back there and my wife hates it because well, every time I bring her, she says she feels like bait. Yeah, so, you know, so I have to find people to go with me because I'm just uh, far too scared to go by myself. So, it's, you know, but it's this mystery and, and quite frankly, that adrenaline, that excitement, that fear, uh, it, it's kind of addictive. And, uh, you know, so I love going and, and trying to see what happens next, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. But, well, but at well, the same time, you know, it is. Yeah, send me an email and I'll uh, I'll send you some things to watch for. It'll help you a little bit. Yeah, I don't blame you, Bob. I mean, I understand exactly how you feel. You know, as far as wanting 
you almost become addicted to it. It's almost like a drug. Once you have an experience, it's like, God, I, you know, I just want to go back up. I want to see one again. That's how Woody was for the longest time. He just wanted to see one again. It took me a little bit longer to get there, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I understand what how you feel. As far as as advice, I mean, I, I don't blame you for wanting to go back up there. Like every free chance you get, I would just try and be as safe as you can going back up. I definitely, for me, I'd carry a firearm, shotgun. I'd, I'd load that thing with slugs and buckshots and just in case you need it. I think that night. I'd never that go you, alone and don't get separated. I think that and night. One thing that I you, would advise too is to stay out of their feeding areas at night. You can go through there in the daytime and they're up in their high areas sleeping. Uh, but you know, so you can go all over the place in the daytime, but don't be in their feeding areas at night. It's a whole different game then. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't even know where their feeding areas were. Um, usually what we wind up doing is we just set up a camp in the in the canyon. Um, I've never seen any wildlife in the canyon. It, it's really weird. Um, but we, we'll usually set up camp and just sit around the fire and wait for them to come kind of do something. I mean, that's really kind of the extent of our, our Bigfoot. And then they, uh, more often than not, they, they don't disappoint for whatever reason. And I actually get the sense, uh, and of course I know absolutely nothing and I could be way off, but I actually get the sense that they recognize my truck and they know who it is. And, and so they'll do different things to me. Um, to, just to give you like a quick example, one night, uh, I was hiking around during the day and I, where we had set up camp, I was looking, trying to think, well, if I was in the military trying to, sur- you know, put surveillance on this campsite, where would I want to set up? And so I kind of found this one spot and I thought, man, this would be perfect to surveillance the, the camp. And that's the night that they had yelled at us, uh, with the, uh, samurai talk and that's exactly where he yelled from or she or I, I say he and she because it sounded like a male that time that was their sentry is that what that yeah I don't know but a lot of primates use well you know the term sentry a lot of primates mm-hmm. use those so uh, you were you picked the right spot yeah that, that, and that you know and so that just kind of showed me how and I, I heard this term from somewhere but how strategic they really are um, right. in their well, movements they're, kind of the, they're the master of their area you know, right. master hunters, uh, they've had plenty of dealings with humans for probably as long as the two have interacted. So, um, you know, they're they're on their toes as much as we are when we're out there looking for them. Right. And they, they definitely notice, like, any change in their environment because I've tried to put, like, my uh, audio recorder, you know, just as I'm walking, I just kind of drop it onto a, a little branch or something. You know, they find it. They'll come and they'll throw stuff at it or, you know, you'll hear them creep up, look at it, you know, and kind of move on. And so you can't, there's no way that you can, I mean, they do make mistakes. They're animals, they're natural, but uh, they are definitely strategic and very skilled in the woods. That's for sure. That's one thing that I have learned about them. But, yeah, I mean, there's just been so much that's gone on. Uh, since then, I probably can't and I like year and a half time frame. Uh, I've probably camped there like 40 times um, every chance I get instead of going and doing what I used to enjoy and, and stuff. <laughs> now I'm stuck in this canyon. So, How often are you going up there? 
I try to go at least once a month, but usually I wind up going two times. There's been a few months where I've gone three times in a month. I usually go um, at, at least for a day hike and, and a camping trip at least once a month. Now, have you gone over to the other ridge where you saw the or you heard the female coming from during the day? Have you have you gone over to the other ridge side? Well, these these two mountains that create this canyon, they literally jut from the canyon floor like two thousand feet, and um, oh, I I, I've climbed I've climbed a little ways up that other mountain, and uh, it, it, it's steep. It, it gets too steep to really. To be honest, my, one of my biggest difficulties is finding somebody to go with me and do these kind of hikes and, and stuff like that because I don't want to go alone, and a lot of people just aren't into that kind of, you know, to hike up a, a really steep mountain like that. So I've never gotten up to the top of that one, but I have gotten up to the top of the one that we were camped on, and there's some weird things. <laughs> We found like an abandoned campsite up there uh, that just doesn't make sense. My son thinks that they're stealing stuff from people's camps and just dropping it off there because it was just a really bizarre campsite. I don't know what to make of it, but uh, really odd items. Well, we came across it. It kind of almost looked like a crime scene because stuff was scattered everywhere, but there was no tent. But there was uh, cross-country ski, two sets of cross-country skis. One set of ski poles, and there was three different types of clothing. There were kids' clothing, and like a woman's clothing, and a man's clothing, and you know, all everything was strewn about. Um, there was a bunch of medicine bottles, and uh, there was uh, containers like you would you camping containers, like those plastic things that were smashed. And this is a steep hill. I I don't know where or why somebody would drag that stuff up there to begin with, but then it was just all in this one area. And it's the way the debris it covered a lot of it and stuff, I would say it's been there for several years. Have there been least. any missing uh, people in that area? I don't know. I haven't researched that because I never thought to research that. I do know that off of this area, the dirt road to get to the Jeep Trail, to get to this area, uh, that road is supposed to be haunted. Miners, you know, going back to the miner days, um, you know, said that this area was haunted. So, and I wondered when I read that, I wondered if, uh, if they thought it was haunted because it had something to do with, uh, Bigfoot being there. It could very well be, yeah. Yeah, so, but like I said, there was no tent and there was no, like, sleeping bags and there was no fire ring. But all this stuff is like just laid up, you know, strewn about uh, up at the top area. So, what did your son say? He thought they were they were jacking stuff. Yeah, he said he said because I I was trying to figure out okay if it was a bad storm that drove people off the mountain and they had two sets of skis but only one set of ski poles cross country skis and so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I said, well, if, it's a, if it was a bad storm, why didn't they come back? You know, maybe it was they got scared and they just didn't come back, and they just grabbed what they could. And he was looking at the stuff, too, and he said, well, it's really – because I kept saying it's really weird, though, because this doesn't make sense. Why would you have, like, 
these medicine bottles, and there's like a bunch of them, uh, different types of medicines and different pouches, little stuff, a lot of little stuff. Like a, one pouch had like somebody's fire starter in it. And, you know, and it was just a pouch like you would clip onto your belt or something. You know, a bunch of little stuff like that and then clothing. And he said, well, what if they're, you know, sneaking into people's camps or whatever and just kind of taking something and bringing it up here? And then I thought, well, I guess that's about as good a theory as any. Yeah. Because I can't make heads or tails of this, this campsite that's been abandoned. Yeah, Sasquatch is not only a thief, he's got a prescription medic- medicine problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All the medication was still in the bottles, though. He didn't, he didn't open them. He, so, but yeah, it's it's just really weird stuff like that uh, is around this area. And I don't know, I can't say because there was like no twisting, but all the way around it, there were tree breaks. I can't say it was Bigfoot because there wasn't anything that was obvious where it like twisted the tree or anything like that. Um, but the, almost consistently within a foot range height of each other, and it, it's only about six foot high, you know, so it's not something that is out of the realm of, you know, people or anything like that, but all the way around it in a 360-degree area are tree breaks. Yeah, yeah. I, guess I have some pictures to show you. <laughs> That's interesting that you found that. Um, yeah, yeah, you wonder what, what did it. Yeah, and like I said, I I I don't know, you know. I am I consider myself uh, I guess a bigfooter now, but I'm probably like the world's worst bigfooter. And uh, you know, one of my main goals for contacting you guys was to say, hey, I got this site. They are really active. They're there all the time. And do you know anybody that would, (laughs) you know, that's along your your lines where there are no bull, you know, they, they're serious and that I could kind of turn this over to because I feel like it's a golden opportunity if people wanted to really research this, but I'm probably not the guy for it. Um, I just don't know enough and I'm, I'm going to wind up probably just messing this, this whole thing up. I contacted the BRFO or BSRO, whatever they are, um, and and they proved to be less than the direction that I want to go. That was a horrible experience. So, yeah, I don't know if I if I would really pass it off, Bob. I mean, keep it for yourself. I mean, yeah. I would go in there. <laughs> All the thing about this field is there are no experts, and ninety nine point nine percent of everyone doesn't really know what the hell they're doing. Everyone just yeah. kind of learns on the fly. And so anyone that's going to come in and say, well, I know we know what this area is. We know what to do here. We, they're all, it's all BS because no one they're really full knows. Of <laughs> yeah, they're full of it anyway. And, and um, we can help you, you know. Yeah, we can help yeah. you. I mean, if there's if there's people that you want to go out in the area with, we can definitely find people for you to go out in the area. I wouldn't just hand it over to BFRO or to any researcher out there say, I got a site I want to hand over to you. Um, well, I, I was, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to just go, hey, there it is, have, you know, I, I wanted to, I was kind of hoping to find, like, maybe a, a Bigfoot mentor, so I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking, but, you know, just somebody that is, I guess, kind of serious, yeah, to go out yeah. to, to maybe, maybe has a lot more knowledge than me that is serious about it, um, because I feel like, 
a lot of times that I, I'm doing things wrong, and and you know like that stupid tree structure incident, you know. I mean, that that could have been something where I wound up as a missing person or something. And, you know, I, I'm making these mistakes, and, and they're kind of calling me on it, to be honest, is what they're doing. Um, I had mentioned in my email, like, one time I camped with my dad there. I don't get to camp with my father anymore, you know. we With work schedules and life and stuff, he just doesn't get out like he used to. So it had been years, probably since I was a kid. And so I figured, you know, the heck with Bigfoot. Let's just have fun. And he wanted to play some music. And the next thing you know, one thing led to another. And we're, I mean, just booming music throughout the canyon. And uh went to bed, didn't think, you know, I thought, well, we scared them away. They're probably, you know, a million miles away from us. And went to bed and, and uh I was a heavy sleeper that night with a with a little indulgence, and uh, five feet from my head was my truck where it was parked. And my dad said, "Hey, uh, I, I heard something that sounded like it hit your truck." And so I went through the audio, and sure enough, they they'd come up or something came up, and it sounded like slapped the side of my truck. How yeah. far are you from uh, Castle Rock? Um. Well, this was. Yeah, I'm 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 towards Denver, but the the location is in the like South Pikes Peak or Pikes National Forest area. Woody and I got family over there. Hey, we should fly out there, Woody. Go out with Bob. I know Bob, you're in law enforcement. I got some speeding tickets. Maybe you can help me out with, and uh, I'll help you out at this uh, Bigfoot site in, yeah. in Colorado and Wyoming. By the way, yeah, <laughs> you guys get around. Huh? Well, uh, yeah. you know, uh, on that note, I could probably <laughs> probably not Woody's, do much. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Woody's actually allowed in the state of Wyoming anymore. But oh, um, oh. here we go. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Hey, Bob, we're cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take care of you guys when you come. So, yeah. uh, you know what? In all in all seriousness, I would love to. You know, if you guys ever get this way, you let me know. We'll go out there. And I, I mean, if we, if we went out there for three days, I guarantee something would happen. I mean, it's just the way they, they are out there. Um, you know, and, and I completely by accident, I know there's Bigfoot researchers that have probably spent decades trying to have an experience like I've got. And, here I am, Johnny Nobody, that stumbled across this location, and they're there all the time. It is yeah. just bizarre. So it's um, usually the way it happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's always the guy who doesn't know what he's doing that <laughs> gets the gold, and you know, everybody else is working, putting in their time, and you know, have little to show for it. And and that's the way I feel, and that's kind of why I wanted to, you know, try to find somebody to go. Hey, look. What's really going on? You know all this stuff, and I got all this information. I just don't know what to do with it. Well, let me do this, Bob. I'll contact you after the show. We might be able to make some sort of arrangements. If nothing else, I'll see if I can't find someone in your area. But uh, it'd be pretty cool if we could fly out and check the area out ourselves. Man, that would be fantastic. That would that would just that make my uh, make my time. You know, I'd heard one of your episodes talking about doing a show out in the field. Come on out, do it out there, man. You're almost 
something will happen. I, I, I can't say what, but it's almost always something happens. Yeah, you read my mind. That would be that would be great. So I, I'll do it up, man. I'll buy all the steaks and we'll, we'll have a good time of it. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, all I'll, right. I'll, I'll, contact, I'll contact you after the show, Bob. But I can't pre- you know can't thank you enough for for coming on and and sharing it. It was a, probably one of the best stories I've heard so far. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for giving me your time and and please. If you guys got anything that you can help me with, I, I'm I'm all ears. I just want to learn and and you know not get Absolutely. myself killed in the process. So no, not a problem. Anything we can do to help. That sounds great. And uh, I downloaded a virus. Otherwise, I would say I'll send you a whole bunch of stuff. But I got to try to find somebody to fix my computer. I'm kind of technologically challenged. So um, once I get that fixed, I'll send you guys some pictures and video and. All kinds of audio and stuff, so you guys could see what I got going on out here. Yeah, definitely. And keep in touch, and we'll be in touch with you, Bob. Sounds great. Thank you guys so much. All right, buddy. You have a good night. All right. You too. Thank you. Pretty interesting. Like I said, it reminded me a hell of a lot of uh, of when we were teenagers and had that night. You know, people don't understand that just scares the crap out of you when you're you're kind of trapped in a in a spot where you can't get out. And you guys, the same thing with your situation. You were in your in your truck. You know, you didn't really have anywhere to go because you were surrounded. Like us in the campsite, we were surrounded. There was nowhere to go. And uh, you got something like that around you, and, and you don't know what you're dealing with. It really kind of reminded me also of our encounter, uh, uh, you know, you and I, of uh, being surrounded, having ones on, you know, one on one end and one on the other. And uh, I'm sure I didn't get I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I'm sure he probably thought that at that time whatever size shotgun he had probably wasn't enough. And another thing I kind of wanted to ask him, but he's gone now. But another thing I wanted to ask him too, it's a simple question, but I like to ask a lot of people, is when he built, he said he kept stoking the fire and making the fire bigger and bigger and bigger. I wonder if that really helps. What do you guys think? Do you think uh, does that it made actually us feel really like it really made us feel at least safer? You know, we kept doing it too. We built it up huge. And uh, right. I, I think more what it did for us, it made us because we didn't have flashlights were that good. And I, I guess I don't know between the light projecting out farther, and and I guess you know we stayed pretty close to it, so I guess it did make us feel safer. You know, because you think animals right. aren't going to come up to fire. I wonder if it's more of a of, of a comfort thing for you, or does it more? Do you also think that it scares Bigfoot away? Do you think they're afraid of fire at all? Well, you know, I've heard accounts of them coming right up to fire and playing with the sticks in it. So I, I don't really think, well, I mean, it's a possibility, but I, for the most part, I don't think they're really all that afraid of it. But I, so it may be a more of a comfort thing for us. That's what I think, too. I don't know, personally, that, that one night I was ready to, you know, if one would have come into the, the firelight, I probably would have taken a burning chunk of wood and thrown it at it. <laughs> <laughs> a little napalm coming at you. That's right. That's right. Catch your hairy ass on fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a, it was a really good encounter. In fact, I think it was one of the better ones. Uh, you know, kept my attention the whole time, and uh, I, you know, it was an honest account. You know, everything yeah, he said, really I, I could, yeah. yeah, I could picture everything he was trying that he was trying to describe, and I felt like I was there with him. You know, through the whole thing. So uh, awesome! It was an awesome interview. Yeah, so, and it's I know- always a, a real uh, honor. I think when somebody in law enforcement will step up and, and tell their incident, you know, 
because they are a little bit more credible, I think, than, than a lot of people, just because of the nature of their, their jobs and what they risk coming out telling a story and the fact that they're oh, yeah. trained observers. And I know you guys all think it was jokes, but I really do have speeding ticket issues in uh, Colorado and Wyoming I need to I need help with. Oh. <laughs> You're not alone on that, remember? <laughs> well, you can't well, drive when we're in Colorado then. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to tell that story another time. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We had some uh, issues with the law there, but uh, <laughs> we'll tell that another time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say uh, those Wyoming uh, cops and Mustangs, you don't think they can catch you? They can catch oh, you. Oh, they can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They can catch you. Not only once, but they'll catch you twice, too. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> what are you trying to say, William? Yeah. Oh, we just took turns. He'd get his yeah. team ticket, and I'd get mine, and then, Uh-oh. you know, my other brother was mine. Yeah. It was yeah. an expensive what? trip, if you want to. What do we call it? Can uh. I don't know if I can air it. What do we call it? Yeah, I can't say it on there. <laughs> What's that? Hockey? No, anyway. don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we took turns on getting speeding tickets left and right. The cops, they, they weren't too happy with us. Uh, it was all fun and games until we got the final bill. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell that story another time. From all of us here at uh, Sasquatch Chronicles, we want to thank all our guests tonight and also extend uh, gratitude to all our listeners. Thank you and have a good night. That sounded so professional. He did, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Usually I'm like, bye. And I just play yeah. the music. <laughs> bye. No, Wes is usually like, I'm headed to the hot tub with a beer. <laughs> <laughs> usually you hear a beer open up in the background and you're like, hey, Wes, are you there? Are you there? <laughs> I clicked the music on him. Like, ten minutes and Woody and I have no idea. <laughs> Will and I are sitting there talking and we're like, well, Wes is awful quiet. Uh, he must already be gone. <laughs> anyway, where's my music?
USAA goes above and beyond. I was hit by a tire in the front end of my car and did a substantial amount of damage. I could not believe how fast everything was taken care of. USAA was amazing. See how much you could save with USAA. Members paid for their participation.